most visible expressions of the ministry at Crossroads is weekend worship. Every service is identical and designed to provide something meaningful for all ages. Pastor Ken Eidelman and the teaching team are committed to presenting the Word of God in ways that are easy to understand, compelling, and rooted in biblical accuracy. Over 400 volunteers offer their talents in a variety of artistic expressions to bring life to the music of worship. Musical styles vary each weekend, as do the ages of the worship participants. But the commitment to true and authentic worship remains consistent. Anyone who enjoys music is invited to find a place to grow in their worship and abilities. In the summer of 2013, the Worship Arts Academy will open its doors. The Academy, a first in the tri-state region, will seek to develop the skills of young artists while helping them to understand that the arts belong to Christ. To learn more about the worship ministry or the Arts Academy, visit CrossroadsChristian.com. Well, the Crossroads Playbook is the designation for our current series of messages, and as you can see, we, we still have our backdrop up here on the stage, and we've got our football trophy back up on the platform this weekend. Did I, did I happen to mention this was a conference championship my senior year? Did I, did I happen to mention we were undefeated that year? Just wondering. I want to be sure. Well, all football players from high school to the NFL get their own personal copy of a playbook. And the players study it, and they get their individual assignments, and knowing what's in the playbook determines the success of the team. The playbook in football is like a strategic plan to win games. Well, here at Crossroads, we have a playbook. Looks like this. And it is a strategy to win. Only we're not interested in winning games. We're interested in winning souls. We're interested in winning the people that God loves to Jesus Christ, His Son. And our strategy involves several core values, and we're looking at those over a period of five weeks. This is week three. We've looked at our need for raising up trustworthy leaders. We've looked at our mission of making disciples. And tonight, we're going to look at faithfully experiencing worship and Bible teaching. Remember now, these are the non-negotiables in the Crossroads playbook. Now, there are two of us who oversee the four assemblies each weekend at Crossroads. David Reinhardt is our worship pastor, and I serve as the senior, the teaching pastor. And David and his team are responsible to execute all the instrumental and vocal music, the congregational praise, special messages and song, the prayers, the flow of the service, the media, the dramatic moments, the dramatic elements. Those things are all under David's oversight. And I determine the whom and the what and the when of the preaching schedule. I'm like the dietitian who prepares the menu for how the milk and bread and meat and honey of the Word of God is served from week to week, and it is important to me that you get a full meal deal each and every week at Crossroads. Maybe you've noticed that the worship and the Bible teaching here every weekend are in alignment so that our church family is not exposed 
on a weekend to a lot of disconnected ideas, but rather each week there is one biblical big idea that is impressed. Well, I thought tonight we'd do something a little different. I want to ask David to join me here on the platform right now, and he and I are going to team teach tonight, aren't we? Yeah. And this is a first for me, and I'm sure it is a first for David as well. Now, you need to know that I love working with this guy. He is like my third son-in-law. And you also need to know that David and I are wired quite a bit alike. We've taken personality tests that show that we're both very adventuresome and that we are both very fun-loving. And here's the proof right now. Take a look. Yeah. Yeah, on the left, that's, uh, on the left, that's David. And uh, on the right, in case you didn't recognize me, it's me. There's a story behind this coat, <laughs> and you'll have to talk to uh, Dave or Joyce Hubert to get the story behind that, uh, behind that coat. I'm going to put this one back on. I would be way too self-conscious, David, spending the evening in this jacket. I give it back to Elvis Presley when I see him, if I see him. <laughs> well, in addition to being adventuresome and fun-loving, uh, David and I are also very sensitive guys, aren't we? We're, we're feelers. And so that makes us absolutely wonderful husbands, right, David? Right. Yes, right. That's right, yes. Yeah. Well, let's get down to it, David. You have a seat, and I'm going to talk a minute, and then we're going to dialogue. In Hebrews 12, 28, there's a verse that says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so, worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. That's the New International Version. Take a look at today's English version. Let us be grateful and worship God in a way that will please Him. Okay. So how do we worship God in a way that will please Him? Well, I think we got the answer in the text that Todd read just a few minutes ago. Did you notice he read it in the voice of James Earl Jones? It was good. Psalm 96, verses 1 to 10. As I studied the words of this psalm, I came away, I came away with three imperatives about how we worship God in a way that pleases Him. And the first one is this. We are commanded to exalt His name. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, praise His name. So if you've ever wondered why we sing as an expression of worship at crossroads, there's your answer. We do it because we're called to do it three times in this text. And when anything is repeated like that three times in Scripture, it's to get our attention. You go to Isaiah 6, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It doesn't say Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It's holy, holy, holy. And here we're told, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord. And the fact is that singing started back at creation. Take a look at Job 38, verse 7. The morning stars, what? Sang together. 
And all the angels shouted for joy. And singing will also be present at the end of time. Revelation 15 verse 3 records the lyrics of what is called the song of the Lamb. Here are the lyrics. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. So, since the world was created with a symphony of joyful praise, and since all creation will break into song when Jesus returns, we're called to sing to the Lord in the meantime as we await His appearing. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things in this text. The first thing is it says we are to sing a new song. Now, I take it that that means brand new. I think we use contemporary expressions of praise for God's multifaceted character. But this sing a new song could also mean fresh, which would include refreshing, familiar, more traditional songs. Now, David, I notice um, the thoughtful way in which you choose our worship songs week after week. And I've told you before, I find myself humming and singing and whistling our worship music from the weekend before uh, every day of the week following. So I want to get inside your head right now. I want all of us to be able to. I want you to, to kind of tell us what, what it is that, that moves you to select certain worship songs for us. Well, first, Ken, I would just say that uh, this is for the Lord, and so we want Him to be a part of it in, in every way. And so it begins with prayer. It begins in just saying, God, what do you want? What do you want this weekend? And it's an awesome process. Sometimes the girls in the office, when I'm back there working and praying and, and listening to music, I'll just know this is it. This is the song. And I'll start laughing, and they know it's the God laugh again. Because God is, is, has spoken, and he, he directs the process. There's a worship team that meets, and you give input. All of us together seek the Lord. So I think it's first really important that we seek the Lord because this is about Him, and it's for Him. So He can be in the fine print. He can be in the planning. Secondly, I think it's really important that it's theologically sound, that what we're saying about the Lord is true, and that it reflects who he is as best as we can through the lyrics. I'm a big person about lyrics. Um, I think they're memorable. I think music's something that sticks with us, just like you were talking about, Ken. And I think it's important that that what we're singing is doctrinally sound, it's theologically sound, it's true. It paints a picture that's accurate about who the Lord is. Next, um, I would say that it needs to be vertically focused. I mean, we gather here for an audience of one. We gather here to give the Lord praise. It's not about any of us. It's about what we're doing and what we're saying to the Lord. And so um, we want to sing lyrics to him that reflect our heart. And I'm so grateful for music because I believe that it, it allows us to express ourselves in ways that sometimes just speaking doesn't allow us to do. It just mm -hmm. takes us to places. It bypasses sometimes our head and it just goes to our heart. And then we express ourselves together in worship through what we're doing. Um, you mentioned the thematic uh, element of what we're trying to accomplish here. Um, we recognize that we live in a society with lots of messages all the time that are coming at us. And when we're together here, we want to just be laser focused. You and I talk a lot, Ken, about hitting the bullseye with a theme. We want all of our, 
all of our church family to get what we're talking about and what attribute of God that we're focusing on week after week. Um, probably the next thing that I would think about is, is it singable? I mean, our goal is that all of us in this room week after week would sing. Now, maybe that's not your thing. Maybe you go, I'm not the greatest singer, but you know what? Um, the Lord doesn't care. He cares about our heart, right? He says, make a joyful noise, whether we think we can do that or not. And uh, my dad's here tonight. I hope I won't embarrass him here. But I always think about my dad when I'm thinking about songs because he wouldn't say that, that maybe singing is his greatest gift. But I'm thinking about, could my dad sing this song? Really? You know, could he sing this song? Is it too high? Is it too low? Is it something that, that maybe somebody that wouldn't say that's their primary gift could engage in because we want all of us to share the experience together. And then finally, um, would the last part of what I would probably think through is, um, does it help us in being able to use the artists that God's blessed us with here at Crossroads? Um, we've got lots of different kinds of musicians. God's wired people up with different giftings, um, and we want to just allow those giftings to be leveraged for His glory. And so maybe some mm -hmm. people have a classical voice, and others may have a more contemporary voice, and they may have this style of learning music, or, or some people just may have to read the notes and whatever. And so I'm thinking through all of those things as we select the music, because we want to utilize the people that God has blessed this church with. And sometimes people will say, well, Crossroads is just really blessed. They've got all these wonderful musicians in, um, in, in the body. And I just say, well, you know what? God has blessed lots of people in lots of churches with giftings. Um, it's our job as church leaders just to set up an environment where those giftings can be used for his glory. And so all of us together can make a joyful noise to him. Some of you have never gotten to hear David talk. I hear him talk backstage every week before he comes out with our worship choir. And he holds court just like this back there with the people in his ministry. <laughs> and it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I want you to hear from David tonight that the worship music that we sing week after week is prayerfully and thoughtfully selected and uh, prepared for our worship. Now, David, it says in this text that we're also to sing to the Lord all the earth. And the idea here, I think, is that we do it together. In fact, uh, Psalm 34 verse 3 says it that way, glory uh, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. So regardless of our national, our racial, our gender, our generational differences, I know how strongly you believe in what we call intergenerational worship or transgenerational worship. To, so take us to school on this, David. Tell us about your conviction about united worship from the youngest to the oldest. You know, Ken, I think as a 16-year-old student, when I came here, one of the things that I appreciated the most about this church was just unity. There was just a sense of unity. And, and we want that through our worship ministry, through, through our worship experiences. I think uh, the worst thing that we could do would be to make the worship of the church, the worship that we give to, to the Lord, a divisive thing. It's very important that we assemble together and that we're in one mind about what we're doing. Um, and, and you know, Ken, I kind of like to explain it like this. Um, our philosophy is this. We, um, we recognize as leaders that we, as Todd said earlier, have a responsibility to lead the next generation to the Lord and see them assume leadership in our church. We recognize our, our students only know the environment that they, that they know. 
they listen to what they listen to. And so we want to lean towards our students, towards our youth, because it's very important that they feel like this gathering every week is a place that they can connect to, that they can relate to. But in addition to that, we recognize that we have senior saints in our room too, and they need to be built up. And when you think about it, on a given weekend, we could have, uh, we do have, maybe ages 14 to, to maybe ages 95, and we're all here together. And can, I've just never been a proponent of kind of taking the young people and, and having them go in their flip-flops in one room and let them rock it out, and then we have our senior saints in another room, and we, we have them with the organ, and we kind of divide the church up like that. I understand why my, some ministries may feel like that's a, a good step, but here at Crossroads, we just want to elevate the discussion to one thing. And the one thing is what we're coming to do. That's the most important thing. We're coming together as the body of Christ to worship Him. And we have lots of expressions of like-minded like groups. We have seniors that worship and women worship together and high school ministry worships. In Suntown right now, there are over 95 worship leaders in our children's ministry that help lead worship to our students. And so we have... Lots of other expressions during the week where we might get together in our, in our small group and worship or our young adults together to worship. But can we come together on the weekend as the body of Christ and say, hey, we're in this together. It matters that we're in community together. Mm -hmm. It matters that we worship the Lord together. So it's not about my style or your style. It's about what we're coming to do. And so it's very, very important that, that we get we all have the same mentality about that, Ken. I just think it's vital. Last weekend, David, I sat back there in the 830 service, and I saw about three rows in front of me a grandfather that was holding the hand of what looked to me like a six- or eight-year-old child, uh, boy, and they were singing and praising God together, and it was just heartwarming to me. You realize that a lot of churches have had what are called worship wars. I detest hearing that expression. But David, I want to thank you because of your vision for intergenerational worship, transgenerational worship. We don't have worship wars at crossroads. Worship ought to be one of the most engaging and the most unifying activities of any church family. It may be so in this room, all four services, every weekend from the back row all the way up to the stage. Amen. Well, what else from Psalm 96? Worship also should not only exalt His name, but also extend His kingdom. Look at the latter part of verse 2. Proclaim His salvation day after day, declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. See, worship does not have to do with a time or a place or a style. What matters most is what David just said, why we worship and how much of yourself you offer God when you worship. And whether or not worship affects your behavior, if you truly worship, you will proclaim His salvation consistently day after day. If you truly worship, you will have a heart for the nations. If you truly worship, it will make you a faithful witness, declaring His marvelous deeds among all peoples. Again, David, I know that you understand this because you draw a straight line between worship and discipleship. You lead from conviction about this, so share with us your conviction about the relationship of worship and discipleship. 
Well, Ken, I probably would answer that in two ways. The first is what happens when we're together in worship, because we are, as we just heard in that last song, we're entering into the presence of God. And when we enter into the presence of God, something supernatural happens. The mm -hmm. Holy Spirit moves and we ask him to, and we are transformed from the inside out. You preach God's word faithfully week after week after week. And we know that the word always is never returns void. It always cuts like a knife. And, and so we are changed by being together week after week. I think it's why the Lord says, you know, do not forsake coming together on the first day of the week to worship him. And because he knows this is a part of our rhythm that we need and it's transformative. So, so, and discipleship is God's work, right? It's just us allowing that work to happen on how quickly that can, can happen in our lives. Mm -hmm. But then I think secondly, I could speak to that from the worship ministry side. And, and I really would like, like to, because, um, I, I would like for our congregation to know some of the preparation that we do for, with uh, the, the people that are up on the platform here um, that lead worship week after week. First of all, I just believe that worship, that music, that the arts are a powerful tool for discipling others. Um, and that's why in our worship ministry, we try to develop a culture of prayer, saying yes to God, agreeing with his heart and praying together for one another and for the church. Um, I wish some of you could hear some of uh, when we have some of our children and our young adults um, a part that are part of leading worship on the weekend. You should hear how they pray mm. before this for this gathering. Um, they they just speak with such conviction and with heart to the Lord, and and that's part of what we're trying to do through the worship ministry. You grow up worshipers from youngest to oldest. Um, secondly, we like to worship together just because God deserves that, and so we enjoy that. We have teaching that happens. Week after week, if you're a part of our choir, uh, one of our elders, Brian Gower, he speaks from God's word week after week and he challenges us in what worship's about in that day-to-day -day activity of worship. And so that when we stand up on the platform, it's the overflow of our relationship with the Lord that, that comes out. We have a small group community and in our choir alone, there are over 25 small groups that meet where we have a leader who, who challenges us to pray for one another week after week. We have a culture where we want to go outside the walls. We understand that the good news is not something that needs to be kept, it needs to be hidden, it needs to be shared. And that's why we, we serve lots of different places and all over the world through our worship ministry. And, and we want that kind of culture that just says, we desire the Lord first. Because when we do that, Ken, I believe that we align our hearts with the Lord's and then he's happy to come and visit mm -hmm. us. He's happy because he's got people that are connected to him. And so we work hard to know the people that we serve alongside. We work hard at, at trying to dive deep with the Lord. Um, I always like to say it like this to our team. We're Christians first, we're artists second. I feel like I'm a pastor first, I'm a musician second. And I think it's really, really very important that we have the right thinking about what happens um, as worship leaders on the platform. Um, and, and finally, I would just say, it's a joy. It's a joy to to be used of God. And God doesn't need any of us, but he wants us. <laughs> and we just want to keep ourselves in a place where we're imitating him or we're more like him so that all of us can give him more of our heart. One of our new uh, growth initiatives at Crossroads is what we're calling the Worship Arts Academy. And uh, this is a vision that David has had. And uh, 
David, tell us about that. I want everybody to know about that. We've acquired the property on, uh, on Lloyd Expressway, the old Elite Fitness Center, and we're repurposing that facility, and we're establishing the Crossroads Worship Arts Academy. But it is a discipling tool, isn't it, David? It's, it's not arts for the sake of arts. It's arts for the sake of discipling people to Jesus. Talk about Absolutely, it. Absolutely, Ken. I mean, that is first and foremost, foremost in our thinking. When I think back about this initiative, I got to think back to really again my own life because, again, at age 16, I showed up here as a high school student. And the night I showed up, they were there was a youth choir and they were singing and they were acting. They were using their giftings. And I thought, wow, there's a place where, where a kid like me who's artistically wired could be connected and could grow. I was discipled here. I had mentors, spiritual mentors in my life, like Todd Bussey and others that pulled me into the Christian community here and showed me more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how my life could matter for the kingdom. And if it wouldn't have been for that, I promise you, I would not be a worship minister today. I just believe in that completely. And so a few years ago, our elders, our leaders came to us and said, what is the Lord doing in you? What, what kind of Holy Spirit promptings are you, are you hearing from God about? And the first thing that came out of our worship ministry was how do we expand beyond just a music ministry to an arts ministry? How can we multiply the effectiveness of our ministry? And, and so, so the idea of the Worship Arts Academy was born. Um, and again, it is a discipling venture. We're not here to teach lessons just because we love art. We're not here because we need to um, add something else to our programming here at Crossroads, but we believe that as we enter into worship together, as mentors come alongside of students, that God's gonna do a good thing. And uh, so we are in that process right now of looking for mentors, people that are gonna work with our students. And I want our congregation to know that everybody that will come to the Worship Arts Academy will first be prayed for with a spiritual mentor in every lesson. Second, um, they will be required to do readings on what it means to be a Christian artist. And third, um, it, it matters to us that we are memorizing God's word because the Bible says that we hide God's word in our heart so that we won't sin against him. And, and we feel very strongly that that combination along with Christian instruction is is going to really produce something very special we know that the arts are getting cut in our schools uh, we know that a lot of the agenda of those that work with with our students sometimes are questionable um, in the, in arts and so we want to have a safe environment where artists can come where they can build be built up we want this to be a tool that can build up the church both here and other ministries across roads and we want it to be an outreach to other people in our community so right now, we have acquired the building, as you've mentioned. This morning, um, we were at the new Worship Arts Academy building. We had about 50 folks that showed up. We have begun the process of ripping up the floor and taking out the ceiling and taking down walls. And within the space, we're going to be having a, an art studio, an art gallery, two dance studios, a multi-purpose room where we're going to teach all kinds of group classes. We're going to have a black box theater where we'll be doing productions and recitals and such. We're going to be tutoring students, doing their, helping them with their homework, uh, and so on and so forth. So it's just going to be a great space. We also have a website now. If you'd like to learn more about the Worship Arts Academy, it's crossroadsworshipartsacademy.com. We also have a Facebook page. You can like us there, and you can learn more about the vision that God's given us for that ministry. Mm, fantastic, David. Friends, it's just true. That if we worship God, that 
and we do it in a way that pleases Him. We're going to be diligent witnesses, we're going to be faithful disciples, and we're going to have missionary hearts. And if you become a part of our worship ministry, I'm speaking for David now, you're going to have opportunities to witness, you're going to have opportunities to be engaged in serving, you're going to have opportunities to take mission trips. It's all part of the total package at Crossroads. David, I want to thank you for coming up and sharing your heart with us. Uh, we are being led well in the worship area. Thank you, David. Yes. So, in our worship, we exalt His name, we extend His kingdom. Thirdly, we express His greatness. Look at verse 4 in Psalm 96, for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens, splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and glory are in His sanctuary. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. The Lord God is not a tribal God. He is King over all nations. He is most worthy of praise. And He's to be feared above the idols that are mere God substitutes in our day, whether it's food or sex or entertainment or success or money or achievement or romance or family or self. Speaking of God's substitutes, I visited a website this week called the Top Ten Craziest Modern Dictators. Take a look at a few of these guys. I want you to notice they sure look like a happy bunch. There's Idi Amin. Dictator of Uganda for eight years, he would literally eat. He would cannibalize dissidents to his regime, or else he would feed them to his pet crocodiles. He claimed titles of conqueror of the British Empire and president for life. Not quite. He lasted about eight years. And then there's Muammar Gaddafi. Remember, this guy was a dictator of Libya, guy with a very weird fashion sense. Weirder than this fashion sense uh, right here. His bodyguards were restricted to young women who were virgins. He once claimed he conquered the United States. He expressed support for Somali pirates. He once tried in a two-hour speech before the United Nations to extort five billion, with a B, euros from the United Nations. And then there's... Papa Doc Duvalier from Haiti, 1957 to 1971. He beheaded his second in command and kept his head for voodoo. And in 1961, he ordered elections in Haiti, and then he claimed that he received 100% of the vote. <laughs> Every day, he required Haitians to recite a prayer that went like this. Our doc, who art in the National Palace for Life, it's, it's a takeoff on the Lord's Prayer that he required school children pray to him. And the network, net worth of Hugo Chavez, the dictator of Venezuela, was $2 billion with a B, but his people lived in abject poverty, yet he was loved and he was celebrated by them. 
even after his recent death last month. And then you know this guy, Kim Jong-il, North Korea, praised by his people as the creator of the universe. He claimed that Korea is the most democratic, the most free, the most respected nation on earth. He also claimed to be the greatest golfer in history. Yeah, and he claimed to be the inventor of the hamburger. It's true. And his grand jewel of insanity is that he required school children to be taught that he never had to use the bathroom like the rest of us. Kim Jong-il. And of course, we're all familiar with his 29-year-old lunatic son, Kim Jong-un, who is threatening to start thermonuclear war any day now. But the thing is, the thing is that these men are virtually, even literally, worshipped by many people in these countries. And we scoff at that. We scoff at that. But I wonder if we're much different. In the U.S., we love to, we love to idolize mortals. The Hollywood crowd has one self-congratulatory event after another. We refer to anyone who's risen in fame or, or notoriety to having achieved rock star status. Is that really the ultimate in praiseworthiness? A rock star? <laughs> and the public feeds the appetite of their narcissistic tendencies, their appetite for adulation and praise. People buy the magazines, buy the videos, buy the products they endorse. We worship fame. We worship the famous, whether it's, whether it's an American idol or an American president. And there are some people who are gaga over Lady Gaga. We love to applaud the appearance and the achievements and the personalities and the prosperity of mortals. And yet this psalm brings us back to what's most important. Only God Himself is great and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared and honored above everyone else, everything else. He has no rivals because He's the creator of the heavens and the earth and all who live on the earth. And we should worship, worship Him with all we have and all we are. Let's be careful not to squander our praise and worship that belongs to Him. And as we close, I have some very personal worship challenges for you. Some of you will latch on to these, some won't. But I want to challenge you, starting tomorrow morning, to read a psalm every day. There are 150 psalms. You could finish the book of Psalms by the end of September. One psalm every day between now and the end of September. Exalt His name. And listen to worship music every day. Saturate your subconscious mind with praise. Exalt His name. 
make a commitment to worship faithfully every weekend. It's a way that you express His greatness. Pray for one of our 31 missionary partners' families on a regular basis. They're profiled in, a, in brochures that we have in a prominent place out on our Connection Center tonight. You could pick one up. There are 31 missionary families that are supported by this church all over the world. And you and your family could set that on your dining table and just pray for our missionary partners on a regular basis. Finally, get yourself ready for the Lord's return. We didn't read all of Psalm 96, but it closes with this ultimate purpose for worship. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord, for He comes, He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His truth. Ultimately, that's what worship is for, to get us ready for that day. So are you ready today? Have you committed your life? Have you committed your soul, the real you, to Jesus? Are you on board the ark of salvation, His, His church? If not, we want to meet you right down front here as we stand and worship our great God in one final song. Will you stand?